all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is your program. That's right. It belongs to you because you can call in and you can ask any kind of medical question that you might be interested in. Maybe it's a new medication that you're prescribed. Maybe it's a side effect of something that you haven't quite put your finger on. Maybe it's a new diagnosis or just something that you just don't quite have a handle on that regards your health or the health of someone else in your family or even a friend. If you're not able to reach us by phone, maybe you've got some other things going on, you can always contact us by email. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Lots of good springtime weather. Had that little uh, cold uh, snap over the weekend for most parts of the state. And I uh, hope uh, that everybody uh, weathered that okay, no pun intended. But we do uh, want to make sure that uh, you, you know, just sort of prepare for those th- changes in weather and um, particularly around your house. I know a lot of people, housing is a uh, is a challenge in how you heat and cool that. So just keep that in mind as you move into that time period. Shouldn't uh, impact us a whole lot in springtime uh, from a medical standpoint, but there are certain medical conditions that can uh, be affected by that. So just keep that in mind. We're going to go to David from Horn Lake. Good morning, David. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Horn Lake just uh, approved the medical marijuana my question to you is, this metal, let me get my tongue in my head working together. Sure. Uh, since this is brand new and with the CDO hype and all that, is the FDA going to regulate the purity and uh, uh, to, to regulate the strength of medical marijuana and all the associated products that goes with it and make sure there's not any contamination or whatnot? Because I just just recently contaminated eye drops that are causing people to go blind and I think even killing a few people. So what's, what's, what's going to be the rules and the guidelines as far as protecting as far as, I'm not going to use it myself, but I mean, you know, I mean, what if you, I don't know, if you buy XYZ gummies and uh, one week and it's got so a certain percentage THC in it and you buy some the next month and it's quadrupled the amount of THC in it and you, I don't know if you can overdose or hallucinate or what. I'll shut up now. You answer. Sure. 
Yeah, that's and that's different in every state. So it's not something that is federally regulated. It is state by state regulated. So you're going to find that different in every state. And the health department in our state is has a major role in determining that. So as far as the FDA regulating that, they're not going to regulate that any more than they regulate, uh, you know, over the counter uh, certain some um, um, herbal remedies or anything like that. Um, so that is you brought that's that's one of the concerns is the potency can uh, vary uh, from distributor to, to distributor and um, it, it that you don't really know how much that you're getting there. Um, but that's pretty much the same with any herbal, um, you know, any herbal product. There are some standardizations of some of those so that you know what you're getting. But again, that can change from one person to the other and uh, contaminants. But these states um, are regulating that and they will have quality control um, at, you know, if you're a licensed distributor, that's part of the process of, of being one is that there's going to be some quality control with that. So there's going to be a little bit of regulation, not through the FDA, though. So that's, you know, state related. I know a lot of people go out of state to get that, you know, Colorado, Arkansas, other places. Um, same kind of thing there. So you just sort of have to know what the laws are in the state and um, I'll see if I can. I don't have it in front of me right now, but there is some information I think online that uh, before the end of the program, I'll try to get that, or you can go go back and uh, and uh, check it out on our uh, archive show. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty much going to be regulated um, at the state level. All right, thank you. All right, thank you, David. Going to go to John in Mobile, Alabama. Good morning, John. Thank you for taking my call, Doctor Stewart. Um, You've answered uh, some of my questions in the past, and I wondered if you could handle this one. Um, about midday yesterday, um, I felt something, um, noticed something in my eyes, and thought maybe it was just seasonal allergy. It wasn't bad, but uh, I went and looked at my uh, eyes in the bathroom mirror, and my left eye had blood in it. From um, it, it looked like it was slightly connected to the iris, but uh, one the outside corner had um, kind of a small mass of blood or a smear of blood in it, and I wondered if I needed to uh, go see, maybe go to the emergency room or one of those dock-in-the-box things to find out uh, if it's dangerous. It does not seem to be uh, painful. I mean, um, I was surprised when I saw it, and um, I'm not sure what could have caused it, like maybe the cat batting me in the morning, or uh, the uh, what is it? The allergy eye drop that I put in, I think, two days ago, or something like that. But it really surprised me. Any idea um, what that might be? Uh, yeah, I, if it'll go away by itself. Or... Right. So, yeah, I think I know exactly what this is. Um, it's called a subconjunctival hemorrhage. Um, sounds terrible, but it is a totally benign thing. Usually doesn't cause any kind of problems. Um, and as far as what can cause it, it can be a number of things. Now, you are at, you know, some people are more at risk if they're taking aspirin or if they're taking any kind of, um, you know, anything to thin their blood out if they're on some blood thinners of any kind. That can put you at risk, but you don't have to be on that to have this. And then as far as like what's the thing that actually causes it, um, it could be anything from coughing, um, you know, uh, profusely sneezing, 
Uh, some people, just by working outside, sometimes they'll get it. And it's basically the conjunctiva is sort of the covering of our eye. And right underneath there, there's a blood supply. And if you have one of those little bitty small vessels that ruptures, it'll bleed into that space. And it doesn't really have anywhere to go. And it has to sort of wait on reabsorbing it. But it's totally benign phenomena. It goes away again. It looks like it's a horrendous thing. Uh, but it's one of those medical conditions that you really don't need to do anything about it. If it does cross over into the colored part of your eye, into the iris, because most of these are, are on the outer white part of the eye on top of that, um, then you might want to you know have it looked at. But honestly, it's really not even you know worth looking at. Now, I've, there's a 1% chance that's not what it is, and you might want to just get somebody to look at it. But if it's going away after about a week, and it's not causing any problems, no pain, no change in your vision, you're probably fine just watching it. And again, then you have to explain, like, you know, everybody's like, what is going on? Why, what happened to your eye? And you can give them the fancy name, subconjunctival hemorrhage. Uh, but very common, and a lot of people get those. Wow, Sub- subconjunctival, that does sound bad. <laughs> Worse than what it is. Um, exactly. Well, that was easy. Uh, thanks very much. Sure, sure. Thanks for calling. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls about any kind of health care issue that you might have a question about. I had two good calls already. Or send us an email. We do try to reply directly back to you uh, as soon as we can, but also like to share those uh, answers on uh, on our program. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Had a caller uh, earlier talk about uh, or asking a question about uh, medical marijuana and its regulation and how do we know it's standardized. Um, I just didn't, I couldn't pull it out of my head. So I looked it up in the break. And if you want to know more about that in the state of Mississippi, at least, if you're in adjoining states and you're listen, listening, this doesn't quite uh, pertain to you. You'll have to investigate that if uh, your state is pursuing uh, medical marijuana already has it. But the Mississippi State Department of Health website has some information on that for patients and about dispensing and about the applications and everything. And um, that website is msdh.ms.gov, G-O-V. And you just search on there for medical marijuana and you'll find the information that you need uh, about sort of how that's going to work. And uh, there is some training for physicians. You can't just go to any physician. A physician has to have special training um, prior to being able to, uh, you know, sign a medical marijuana card. And then it's up to the patient to take that card and go to a dispensary. And we're still a little bit early in Mississippi on that. And uh, we're sort of navigating that. But uh, check out on that website. That's the Mississippi State Department of Health's website, msdh.ms.gov. And you can just search for medical cannabis questions and answers and find more information there. What about all the critters that are out? You know, we just mentioned spring at the top of the hour coming into the program about it's right here with us. And we get into it fast here in the south. Uh, We just full steam ahead up to 80 degrees. And um, with that comes a lot of insects like stinging insects and biting insects that aren't necessarily there or at least not there in the numbers that they are once we warm up here in the south so what do you do with those when you get stung it's a common question you know there's lots of old things i can remember growing up my uh, grandfather uh, chewed tobacco and he would uh, 
say you got to put some tobacco juice on there if you get stung by a wasp or a hornet um, or a bee, and that can help uh, sort of numb it. And uh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, and uh, that's one that I think is common in the South. But what can you do? Uh, The biggest thing is um, I'll, I'll talk about just in general and then maybe a couple of comments of if you have an allergic reaction, a true allergic reaction that's uh, either regional or systemic. Almost every biting or stinging insect causes an allergic type reaction at the site. So whether they sting you or they bite you, there are caustic chemicals that those little critters have that can irritate tissues and cause a number of things like mast cells that we have in our body that degranulate. And they have these little granules that have things like histamines and it causes local swelling and redness and the itching. Um, and they cause uh, an influx of uh, fluid, which is why they sort of swell up at the area. And that can also cause some pain. Some of the chemicals can cause direct pain and sort of fire off those pain receptors. But the stretch of the tissues can do that as well. So all these things are nasty and it's very irritating. And, um, you know, if you think about it, sometimes if you're like me, uh, I don't even feel the initial sting sometimes. I'll get st- I've been stung many times by bees and wasps and hornets, and um, I may not feel it right off the bat. It's just when those little chemicals start working and my body's response to try to wall that off, um, that's when I feel the pain and feel the, the effects of it. So what can you do right then and there? Well, um, making sure if there is a stinger involved, so keep in mind certain of the uh, Hymenoptera species they um, the flying insects that sting a lot of them will leave their stinger with you it's a nice little present that they leave to say don't mess with us anymore and uh, that bee will die but that stinger will be inside you and it is a nasty little harpoon and it can have a venom sac that's still attached to it and that venom sac has some muscles that continue to inject that poison into you and cause all those effects so getting that out can be tricky you don't want to squeeze the you know a lot of people just reactively grab that and then when you grab it you actually squeeze that little venom sac and it can squeeze more of the stuff into your body through that little hypodermic needle Um, Getting it out, though, can be a little bit challenging. Some people use tweezers to do that. Some people just take a blunt um, object, a flat object, and it can be anything, and then move it across your skin to sort of grab that little uh, barb and uh, dislodge it from your skin. But you want to do that. You want to clean that area off because any time you have anything that sticks through your skin into the the uh, subcutaneous tissues – has the risk of bacteria, not necessarily from the insect, but from your skin, uh, to be carried in further down into tissues. And if you're going to have an area that's going to be uh, prone to swelling, that's just going to make it more of a risk to have an infection down the line. But again, not necessarily, it's not that the bugs are, are uh, harboring all those um bacteria it's your skin and certainly if you're in an area outside where you're probably going to be bitten or stung by these insects that's that could be you know other things that are out there in the soil that you're getting into so you want to clean the area off first and uh, dislodge that uh, stinger uh, that barb if it's in there and then uh, one of the best things to do immediately is to apply something cold to it you know this is seems very simple but it is very useful Uh, Decreasing the temperature of the area is very helpful in limiting the 
inflammatory responses that your body would normally trigger. Doesn't cause any delay, any long term effects or anything. It's actually very good at doing that. And the quicker you can get something cold on there, the better. You want to be careful with direct ice onto the tissue, though. You could do some damage to that if it's greater than about 10 or 15 minutes. But alternating that and putting that on there can help. As far as anything to put on it, I know there are lots of things over the counter to put on there. There's lots of remedies that have things like lidocaine, which is a great or some derivative, a great anesthetic. Um, those can be helpful. Um, Benadryl works. Benadryl is an antihistamine that is relatively short-acting, relatively meaning three or four hours, sometimes up to six hours, that it works really well. However, the topical ones uh, I don't use because they don't really work very well at all. And if they have other ingredients in there, it might work a little bit. But topical Benadryl doesn't really get absorbed into your body or into the skin or the area very well. Um, so taking something, you really have to take something orally for that. There are longer acting antihistamines, things like Claritin and Allegra and um, Zyrtec. Those are all very useful to take and they can stay in your body a lot longer. Um, and those can help with that inflammatory response because it's blocking the histamines that are released from those little cells called mast cells. Um, and then beyond that, um, it's not a bad idea, particularly if you have a lot of swelling at the area. Area, you can use a topical um, steroid. Um, you don't want to use a whole lot of it, just sort of dab it over the area. And hydrocortisone is readily available at most pharmacies. It's very useful in doing this, and it can, again, help with that immune response to that area. So those are the, the limited things you can do. Well, what if you're having a reaction, uh, if you know that you're allergic to bees, wasp, uh, ants, those kinds of things? It is a, a really good life-saving um, uh, idea to have an EpiPen. So what is that? So an EpiPen is a little device that has a needle on it, and it has epinephrine uh, in the pen itself. And it's really easy to use, uh, really easy to train anybody to use this. There are ones for kids that are appropriate dosages. Epinephrine is a chemical, is a uh, uh, medication that is injected into the body that can help with some of the more serious allergic reactions that you can have that would involve your breathing in particular. So there are some individuals that are more sensitive to those little critters and, and the uh, inflammation that they cause, and they can have bronchospasm, which is a constriction of the airways. And it can lead to death. It's very dangerous if you have those types of um, allergic responses. It, now, it doesn't correlate necessarily with everybody who had just has some swelling, but it also, if you've never had that before and you've been stung by wasp or bees or hornets or ants uh, your whole life and not had any, any problems, you can also develop this over time. So if you do have any problems with swallowing or with breathing, you want to get as fast as you can to somewhere that can administer some emergency services, particularly epinephrine, and make sure that your airway and other tissues are are secure. Um, so you definitely, if you have had one of those allergic reactions 
to any of those, you need an EpiPen, and you have to have a prescription for that. So you need to see a physician, but it's really easy to get. You can, you know, if your child has uh, an allergic response, you can uh, get two of them. So you can have one that you carry around with you and maybe one for the school. Um, But that's a life-saving device that you can have for that. Now, an allergist and allergy immunologist are the the specialists in this area, and it may be worthwhile to see them to get immunotherapy. If you're really, really allergic to it and you've had a bad outcome, they can help with allergy shots, particularly. Uh, that are that are uh, focused on these insects and the venom that they have. And you can sort of train the body to not have that response. They do a lot of good things with immunotherapy. And again, if you've had a child or yourself as an adult, if you've had an allergic response, it is really severe. Maybe you were in the ICU, you had an extended stay and had some problems. That's probably a good idea to see an allergy immunologist so that they can maybe look at some treatment for that. So just some things to keep in mind as we move out into the outdoors and other things move into our areas with us. I know if you're mowing the grass or things like that, things could pop up. And uh, man, it's the worst thing ever is to mow over those hornet nests in the ground. But tis the season that, we, uh, that we're seeing that. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have a question about. Let's go to Mikey from Mobile. We're hitting Mobile lots today. Well, there's lots of bugs that are coming up down here pretty soon, <laughs> aren't there? <laughs> what is your question today, Mikey? Um, just clarification on the wonderful information you've already given, because I do have, uh, if, if watch, or, um, if they're looking for me, I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, among, and among, you know, some other things, every, everybody's got something different. So, okay, first of all, um, which I will certainly listen to this again on Saturday. Is it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday I, that I you think come it's, on, right? Yeah, I yeah. think it's Sunday, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I will re-listen and remake notes um, <laughs> and re-highlight them. Um, but first of all, um, uh, okay, uh, the credit card thing, I can understand for some of the, the, the things, especially, yeah, oh, like I said, wow, ain't they great? Uh, they are. I mean, they do a lot of great work, but not on me. <laughs> Um, uh, first of all, um, when you sterilize after the credit card trying to scrape off, um, do you, is alcohol or vinegar or both acceptable? Uh, because I like to carry, um, I like to carry a little bottle of, you know, a little traveler's bottle in my pocket yeah. when it's the season, you know, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and, but I usually use apple cider vinegar. Because what I've heard is that it neutralizes the um, uh, the, the compound that they're injecting into you. Is that? It might. Um, you know, the problem with that is once it's in your skin, even though there's a little hole there from the from the barb, if it's injected in, it's in there. I mean, it's not, and you're not going to get chemicals to neutralize that, whether it's apple cider vinegar or not. Honestly, I don't know if apple cider vinegar would neutralize anything, um, even if you were to, to, you know, put it in contact with that. But it would have to be before it is injected into the skin. And that is a quick process, too. These mast cells are all over the place, and they can be mobilized in a very short period of time. So once it's 
in contact with those tissues, by the time you get around to even pulling apple cider vinegar out of wherever you have it, the damage is done. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to, it's really not going to have much of an effect. Now, you could use, uh, you know, the thing about apple cider vinegar is it's not a very strong antiseptic. In other words, if you spray it on something, I'm talking about it from a bacteria standpoint now. I'm not talking about using it from plants and or that kind of thing. But um, it's not that good an antiseptic. Alcohol is fine. You don't have to use alcohol. Honestly, you can just use soap and water. Soap and water work well. I know sometimes you have to travel a little bit to get to that. So if you've got alcohol on board, a lot of people have that. If they're out pruning something, you know, they'll clean their pruning shears with the alcohol bottle that they or spray bottle. That's fine to, to spray that on the tissues there. It might sting a little bit, but that's going to kill everything pretty quickly. Uh, so, you know, if you think about it, we use that a lot. If you get a shot of any kind, we clean the area with alcohol uh, little pads, little alcohol swipes um, to make sure that we're not you know, we're reducing the risk, at least uh, dramatically, of that site having bacteria that are carried again into and the you, skin. And you, can, and you can put those like a cut up paper towel sprayed with alcohol on a snack bag in your pocket. Yeah. Or you can just like spray the area once you spray it and then wipe it off. You do have to be careful about what you wipe it off with. You know, like a, a paper towel is not necessarily dirty, but it's not sterile either. Um, but to be well, honest, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I got, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's that would be yeah, fine yeah. to just sort of Better carry that, anyway. <laughs> yeah, or the gels. Honestly, you know, we had a lot of gels, um, uh, that, that people oh, use, yeah. those are fine too, and you don't even have to wipe those off. You can just sort of, you know, wave your arm or wherever it is that you're cleaning in the air, and it's fine. Um, okay. I have follow-up questions sure. also, if you don't mind. If, you know, it's like, um, uh, okay, uh, the ice thing, I, I found that that really helps. Uh, lidocaine seems to really help. Uh, the, the, my main question about all of this process of, you know, ooh, ow, ow, what do I do now, mm-hmm. uh, is um, the Benadryl kind of a question. I do yeah. not ordinarily take Benadryl, but I also keep, liquid Benadryl, like even if it's just a child's dosage that I can take, you know, Um, should I take that before I even start? Okay, do the clean first, then do the Benadryl. No, it's I I would just clean it first. I mean, it's not going to, you know, a few seconds or even a few minutes is really not going to make much difference. Um, and some people are more sensitive to Benadryl. Benadryl, as compared to some of the other antihistamines that I mentioned, like Claritin or uh, Allegra or, or Zyrtec, yeah, it's it's sedating. Benadryl is, and those other three are not. So that's another are not as sedating. Some people still get a little sleepy with them, but um, that's something to keep in mind too. And some people are like, you know, I just get super sleepy with Benadryl, and that's okay. It's just going to help. That's what. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's why I don't usually take it. You right. know, it's like, but I mean, but it, but if if look, if I if I'm suddenly surprised by hornets, especially, right, right, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm willing to be sleepy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, but it's fine, and it's fine. The liquid Benadryl works just as well as is a tablet um, Benadryl. So you're gonna, you know, get the same effect, and you can titrate that dose a little bit down. Uh, Liquid Benadryl is liquid Benadryl. The children's uh, preparations, 
you know, it's all about the dose of it. Um, so you can sort of look on there and a normal dose for an, an, an adult of normal size would be, you know, a minimum dose of Benadryl would be 25 milligrams. Um, you can go up to 50 milligrams. Again, you're going to increase some of the other side effects like getting sleepy, but you can look on that liquid formulation and say, okay, well, maybe if I just use like 12 and a half milligrams, that might be good for me to start off with. Apologies for interrupting no, again, go ahead. but um, is, is it a good idea um, uh, to go ahead? Because like I say, I almost, uh, the only times that I would use it is in an emergency. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't use uh, Some other people use it for other things. No, I don't. Um, uh, uh, but in an emergency, like the hornet, you know, attack, because once the hornet attacks you, then it alerts a whole bunch of other yep. hornets. They have these little pheromones. <laughs> bees bees do the same thing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that, Mikey. So I was in Honduras one time on a medical mission trip, oh. and um, the... Uh, person that I, who I was with um, is is a you know pretty pretty decent expert. Uh, he's in my mind he is an expert on bees. So he was helping uh, the uh, some of the the people that we were working with there in Honduras work with bees. Well, guess what kind of bees are native to Honduras now? It's Africanized bees. So they look just oh. like regular honeybees, but of course they are super super aggressive. So we're suited up and everything and. When you, um, you know, after we got through working the bees, I had had a little bit of honey on my hand and I put it in my, I scratched my head and some bees came to get their honey back. Uh, so, uh, when I swatted it, when I swatted it, one of them, they release those, uh, pheromones and you, before you know it, you've got like five or six bees. So yeah, you've got to be careful about that. Um, uh, cause they do. That's right. I'm still, yeah. And it's not, there's, there's nothing, they're just more aggressive is the biggest thing. It's amazing though. I mean, people work those just like our, our honeybees. So, but you do have to be careful with that. And that brings up but, another okay, point is, 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 if you're going to do something like a Benadryl or Cetirazine, antihistamine, whatever, mm-hmm. is it okay? I go ahead and take like a double dose just initially. Yeah, that's fine. And put the ice on. You know, of course, do the credit card thing, scraping it out. Right. Of course, do the alcohol and or vinegar or whatever I got. You know, it's like at the moment uh, in my pockets and, yeah. and, or whoever else I'm with. Right. Am I, am I on the right track? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't mention we talked about apple oh, cider vinegar. Oh, we, we were we were. Hold on, Mikey. So, so you know, we talked about apple cider vinegar. Regular industrial strength cleaning vinegar is a little bit stronger, and the active ingredient in that is acetic acid, and it can irritate the skin. So you want to be careful with that one because some people are more sensitive to that if it gets on their skin, and you certainly don't want to get that or the alcohol in your eye. Uh, if you're particularly if you're outside, I've had that happen to me too. So just uh, another uh, bit of precaution with that. Oh, you are so great! Thank you so much, Doc. Well, thank you <laughs> for for it. bringing this conversation to the forefront. So this is good. So, uh, hey, look, happy happy for all of us. And oh, geez, the honey thing—I didn't have even thought about that. But, but all these things are ceremonially drilling. Yep, so they are. Makes- they are. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Even us. Well, <laughs> All right. well thank you, Mikey, and you have a good day. 
This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions and calls about any kind of health care issues, although we've been uh, bugging around. Uh, I tried to make that work. I'm not going to make it work. We've been talking about some allergic-type reactions since it's springtime. had a question come up in clinic uh, this week that I get fairly often. is misunderstanding about a couple of medical conditions that we treat with medications. One is hypertension, and one is um, high cholesterol and uh, or dyslipidemia. We call it a couple of different names, and there's different types of that. So if you're put on medication for either one of those, uh, sometimes a patient will say, hey, doc, I, my blood pressure's been great. You know, my blood pressure's been 110 to 120 over 70s since I've been on this medication. Can I stop the medication now? And uh, usually the, um, and the, we get the same thing for, you know, cholesterol medications. Well, usually um, because the cholesterol, you know, the, if you recheck the cholesterol, you can see that your LDL or the bad type cholesterol, the lousy cholesterol, as I tell patients, that's not the actual name for LDL, but that's the way you can remember it. If that goes down significantly to whatever your target is, then a lot of patients will say, well, then it worked. Do I, is this fixed now? Can I stop the medication? So it's not really how those medications work. Now, you may in the meantime, because if your physician is like me, they're going to tell you, okay, I'm going to put you on a medication to reduce your risk of heart attack and stroke to get your cholesterol and or your blood pressure down. Uh, but in the meantime, maybe there's some things that you can change that might impact both of those. And diet and exercise are certainly two things that you can do. So um, you may have changed, you know, three, six months down the road. Those lifestyle changes that you make may have a big impact. And you may be able to come off of those medications. And sometimes I'll take my patient off of them, the blood pressure medication, and monitor that blood pressure at home, bring them back to the office and say, okay, what's your blood pressure doing right now off the medication? If it's at the goal blood pressure, if it's less than 130 over 80, then that may be fine to sort of move on with that because you're treating it with those lifestyle medications. I usually get really excited with my patients when they do that. Like I'm like a, a you know, cheer their cheerleader over on the side saying, this is great. So proud of you for doing that. Same kind of thing with cholesterol, though. That's a little bit harder to modulate than the blood pressure is. But I have seen that in a lot of people if they make dramatic changes to what they're eating or their activity levels. But beyond that, um, you know, and, and again, I'll take people off of cholesterol medications and uh, it's a little bit easier to do that and uh, see what the cholesterol is in two or three months than it is from the blood pressure standpoint. But either way, if they're able to, to uh, be controlled off of that, that's fine. But it's not like an antibiotic where you would take it for a certain period of time and then you stop it. So blood pressure medications are typically you're on some type of blood pressure medication for the rest of your life unless there are other changes that happen. Sometimes we change those the types of blood pressure medications because of other medical risk or other medical what we call comorbidities. Those are just diagnoses that go along with the blood pressure. And the same thing with cholesterol. In cholesterol medications, particularly the statins, and you've heard me say this before, uh, they're really powerful in reducing your risk of heart attack or stroke based on your overall risk, but that's really over about a 10-year period. Um, so it's not like it's, you know, if your cholesterol goes down and you stop those, you really sort of lose that benefit of those. So in keeping them in mind, that's a really long-term thing. 
And, um, but people ask me that all the time. A lot of my patients will say, Hey doc, when can I come off of this? And then we have this same conversation we just had, uh, over the air that, um, basically they're designed a little bit differently and you just have to know how they work. And again, it's not like a, a medication that can cure it. It's treatable over a period of time. This is Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions about any kind of healthcare issue that you might have, or maybe you know about somebody else in your family or a friend has. We're going to go to Terry from Gulfport. Good morning, Terry. Uh, good morning, doctor. I hope your weather affairs as good as it is down here on the coast. It's beautiful. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, to get to the point, uh, there's not even an issue here over the last couple of months uh, with my esophagus. Um, I just had an appointment a couple of days ago with my local EMC. What's happening is for a couple of months, it's been a little bit harder to swallow, and I feel like there's something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what she did was the typical thing where they run that little camera down your nose, and she looked at the top part and said, my vocal cords and everything else look clear and everything like that. But what she has scheduled for me is a barium procedure, mm-hmm. and I didn't catch uh, exactly what's going to happen, or I just want to know what to expect with that kind of an examination, and I'm, of course, really nervous there might be something horrible growing down in my esophagus like that, but I'd just like your take on that if you've uh, yeah. seen that procedure before. Yeah, Terry, that's a great question, and it's a common procedure that a lot of people have and a very easy procedure to undergo, but I'll describe it for you. Let me back up a little bit. I know you're probably well aware of, you know, sort of what they're looking at the area. When people hear about swallowing, I think initially they'll think about their throat and in their neck. But really, the swallowing process is really any everything that happens from your mouth and all the muscles in there and then the back of your throat and then the esophagus, which is that long tube of muscle that moves yeah. food from, you know, the lower part of your of your mouth all the way down to your stomach. And right. you can have, you know, you can have problems throughout that whole system. And it will what we call a globus sensation, which is what you described is like something's getting stuck in there. And sometimes it can be with food. Sometimes it can be with liquids. Sometimes it can be both. And the big thing is figuring out. Is there an obstruction that's in there, or is there a problem with the way that maybe the esophagus is moving food or water through there, or your throat? And there can be a ton of things causing that. It can't, you know, cancer is the one that everybody worries about, but there's other yeah. neuromuscular conditions that can affect that whole system. So a barium swallow is one of the ways. One of the ways is directly looking at it. Now, if you had something like um, the inside of the esophagus, I mean, so if you had uh, or the back of your throat. So ENTs, typically they'll do stuff um, above the level of the larynx, so your vocal cords and above. So they can, you know, put the scope in and they can see stuff in your nose and the back of the throat. And that's very useful. The barium swallow is where they have you swallow some liquid barium. Okay, so that is a radio opaque substance, meaning it shows up on an X-ray, and okay. they have a fluoroscope. A fluoroscope is a continuous X-ray. So you know, like on our phones for the cameras, an X-ray would be the the photo, the video part it would be the uh, the uh, floor uh, uh, the fluoroscopic view of it. So they're going to have you drink that barium in the procedure area, and then they're going to look at it, 
and watch it go all the way from when you swallow it up in your in your mouth all the way down into your stomach. So they can see in real time how your esophagus, and it'll look just like an x-ray pretty much, and they'll take some still pictures of it. You ask them when you have it done because it's super cool. Um, but it doesn't, it, it, you know, doesn't really cause anybody any problems. And, you know, people say, well, what happens to that barium? Does it cause problems? Do I absorb it? It's not absorbed. It travels out, you know, in the normal route that things travel out that, that way and you eliminate it. And it's not radioactive to anybody else or anything like that. It goes through the body fairly quickly. But it does show up on that X-ray as sort of this white material, really, really white. But the whole key points of that is you get to see it as it moves all the way from when you first swallow it all the way down the esophagus to see if there's a problem with spasm of the muscles uh, around the esophagus at a certain point or if there's a narrowing at any point. And that's much, much better than just taking a plain X-ray or, you know, before you move to other things like a CT scan or an MRI. Okay. Is it an uncomfortable procedure? Is it uh, something no. that's done while I'm wide awake and everything? Or does it put me to sleep? Or? No, you'll be wide awake. You would want to be wide awake because you have to initiate that swallowing response. And they, if you, okay. if they give you something to make you sleepy, what happens is you don't. I mean, that would be sort of dangerous because you're not going to be able to swallow that material. Some people say it, right. it tastes sort of chalky. Um, like a thick chocolate shake, uh, uh, not chocolate, chalky shake. Um, <laughs> but other than that, most people say it wasn't any big deal. It's just like swallowing sort of a thickened liquid, yeah. um, you know, substance. So just think about if you like chocolate or strawberry or a vanilla shake, that's what you're swallowing. So that, that may make okay. it a little bit more easy for, but no, I've never had a patient, honestly, in 25 years, that has complained like I just couldn't do that procedure. Now, people who have problems with swallowing, sometimes they'll say, well, it was difficult for me to get it down. But most people tolerate that just fine and don't have any problems with it at all. Oh, good, 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 good. And the entire procedure would take, it's not something that's going to keep you there all day or anything like that. No, no, no. I don't know exactly how long. And it it sort of uh, depends on how you, um, you know, how you, what they're looking at and it may be like you know they may want to get a repeat of certain areas um but i you know less than 30 minutes probably for the whole thing and again it's not something that you have to prepare for either because it's you know you do it on the spot so you just show up and they may there may be some instructions there are some medications that can affect your uh, swallowing mechanism or reflux back up into the esophagus too, because they can sort of see that on this as well. So it's, you know, there are some things that they may say, okay, don't take this medication, but if they don't tell you that, then you should be fine to just do what you normally do. And um, you don't have to, you know, really do anything. There may be some other instructions about, uh, you know, what to eat or not to eat around that time. But generally speaking, you can just walk in and do it, and you're done in about 30 minutes. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. I'm just, of course, I'm 77, and I'm worried about something growing in there, and I don't know if they, uh, after the barium uh, fluoroscopy or whatever it is you call it in there, uh, if they find something like polyps or something, need to be sniffed. Some, that's going to be a completely different procedure they do at a different time. Right, right. Yeah, and it, it really depends on what they see. Like polyps and those kinds of things can be endoscopy where they'll put a lighted tube all the way down the esophagus. But this is the easiest, a lot cheaper than those things, easiest thing to do to know what the next step is. 
Okay, that sounds great. May I ask one more unrelated question? I, actually, Terry, we're out of time, and I, I apologize oh, for that. Okay. But, hey, email us. Email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. You can tune in to MPB Think Radio every Wednesday morning, weekday morning at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.